Numbers 27, verses 1 through 11. Then drew near the daughters of Zelophehad, the son of Hefer, son of Gilead, son of Machir, son of Manasseh, from the clans of Manasseh, the son of Joseph. The names of his daughters were Machla, Noah, Hagla, Milcah, and Terzah. And they stood before Moses, and before Eleazar the priest, and before the chiefs, and all the congregation, at the entrance of the tent of meeting, saying, Our father died in the wilderness. He was not among the company of those who gathered themselves together against the Lord in the company of Korah, but died for his own sin. And he had no sons. Why should the name of our father be taken away from his clan because he had no son? Give to us a possession among our father's brothers. Moses brought their case before the Lord, and the Lord said to Moses, The daughters of Zelophehad are right. You shall give them possession of an inheritance among their father's brothers, and transfer the inheritance of their father to them. And you shall speak to the people of Israel, saying, If a man dies and has no son, then you shall transfer his inheritance to his daughter. And if he has no daughter, then you shall give his inheritance to his brothers. And if he has no brothers, then you shall give his inheritance to his father's brothers. And if the father has no brothers, then you shall give his inheritance to the nearest kinsman of his clan, and he shall possess it. And it shall be for the people of Israel a statute and rule, as the Lord commanded Moses. Here ends this reading. Now the the sisters are Mahla, Noah, Hagla, Milcah, and Terza. And of course the, the chiefs listen to them because... They're really concerned about what Noah might do if they say no with how she's been building that boat outside camp. <laughs> no, no, not that Noah. They're actually spelled different in Hebrew, even if we pronounce them the same. That's not why the chiefs listen to them. And no, not the Kansas City chiefs. See, this, is a, this, this comes at the time... This comes at the time when the Israelites are in the wilderness. God's people are in the wilderness of Sinai after they've been liberated from slavery in Egypt, but before they've entered the promised land, they spend 40 years in the wilderness. God's people were were slaves until God sent miracles and sent Moses to bring them out of the land. And he did. He brought them out of the land, brought them out of the land, but then after they refuse to go into the promised land because they're, they're afraid, they don't trust that God is with them. God tells them to wait in the wilderness and they continue going about in the wilderness until that generation passes away. And so, Zelophehad dies along with all his generation, but he's, he's died before others have. This is later on in that 40 generations. The new generation, his daughters... They've reached adulthood. It's getting closer to the day when they will cross the Jordan River and enter the promised land. So what I'm going to say here today, you know, going going into this, we're we're, we're in a series right now that's that's summed up in in a verse from Psalms. Put not your trust in princes. Summed up in the verse in Psalms. Put not your trust in princes. We're we're talking in this series about about trusting God. We're talking in this in this series about about politics, about how what makes a good leader, what makes a bad leader, and about how we should view 
politics ourselves, you know, adjusting our perspective to fit in the right way. Now, in this passage, these, these people, these daughters of Zelophai, these people and these issues are important. That's, that's going to be my first point. But two, it's also important how they ask for it. It's important how they go about things, not just what they're going, what they're aiming towards. And then third, it's important the faith they have. These people and these issues are important. It's important how they ask for it. And it's important the faith they have. So the previous chapter of Numbers ends one of the censuses. You know, this this book is called the this book of the Bible is called Numbers. Why would he call a book of the Bible Numbers? Well, it's because it's full of numbers, actually. It's because it, it starts and then later on has another census of God's people. God commands commands a census to be taken to count the numbers of people in the various tribes. And in the census just before this chapter, it says the sons of Joseph, according to their clans, Manasseh and Ephraim, the sons of Manasseh, of Machir, of the clan of Machirites, and Machir was the father of Gilead, of Gilead, the clan of the Gileadites, these are the sons of Gilead, of Izer, the clan of the Izerites, of Helic, the clan of the Helicites, and of Osriel, the clan of the Osrielites, and of Shechem, the clan of the Shechemites, and of Shemida, the clan of the Shemidites, Shemidites, and of Hefer, the clan of the Hef. Heferites. Okay, that's pretty normal. That's what it says about all the other censuses, you know, all the other tribes in the census. But then it goes a little bit further. It says, Now Zelophehad, the son of Hefer, had no sons, but daughters. And the names of the daughters of Zelophehad were Machla, Noah, Hagla, Milka, and Terza. These are the clans of Manasseh, and those listed were 52,700. It's the only tribe where the census mentions specific people by name. All the others start uh, are like the start of that. You know, the clan of so-and-so, the clan of so-and-so, the ancestors, the clans of the tribe. But here, five women are specifically named. Machla, Noah, Hagla, Milka, Terza, daughters of Zlofah. Now, why? Why? Why mention that? Well, it's, it's a hint. It's like a... Have you ever heard of, of Chekhov's gun? This, this idea that if you have a play, if you introduce a, a, a gun in the first act, it has to go off by the last act. It's something mentioned early in it, in it, in the story, that comes to fruition by the end. Remember these women. They're going to be important. That's, that's the message here. Remember these women. They're going to be important. They're no little people to God. Understand that you are not little people. Mala, Noah, Hagla, Milka, and Terza, they, they don't do anything else in the Bible except this incident over, over inheritance. But they're important. Well, we're a little bit prepared for that. We're a little bit prepared for that by hearing the names in the last chapter. So when they come up again, we're ready to pay attention, to pay good attention, even if this is a description of case law on inheritance issues. That's what this is, inheritance case law. For the Israelites at this point, that the law indicated that only men and boys would inherit land. In the community, family-structured, agrarian economy of the time, that's not always a hassle for women. You, you still have land. But the daughters of Zelophehad have a particular concern. Their father has died, they have no brothers, and they're not married, so they wouldn't receive any land inheritance, and they want that. Maybe they wouldn't have any issue with working the land their uncles would receive, or maybe they'd be stuck in poverty. They might be. 
Either way, for them, there's this added piece. They want their family to have a place. They want their family name to live on. You know, nobody has last names, but it's, it's like they want to put up a custom gate. Zalofahad's daughter's family farm. That's important to them. Their family is important. There are no little people to God. You are not little people. So they asked to inherit the land. Moses brings the question to God, and God gives a ruling. He gives case law for inheritance instances in the future. Among the Israelites, inheritance priority will be as follows. Sons, then daughters, then brothers, then uncles, then nearest male cousin. When I reread this uh, a few weeks back, I got to the end and was like, well, right, right, makes sense. Simple and clear. It's a case law issue. And in the early Reformation year and a bit before, there was a popular genre of book called casuistry or cases of conscience, which were basically a series of what ifs, instances where, you know, this happens. What's right to do? What's wrong? And they're difficult decisions, and they involve careful distinctions and understanding God's moral law. What's right? I've read a few of these, and, and when I came to this in the Bible, I went, oh yeah, it's casuistry. And then I realized that, well, it's common in Jesuit and Puritan books. It's not common in the Bible. There aren't a whole lot of these. So by including this here, God wants us to pay attention. This obviously... There obviously isn't any question of keeping God out of politics in the Israelite theocracy, but what God teaches us in Christian religion needs to impact our approach to politics today, too. These people and these issues are important. It's important how they ask for it. It's important the faith that they have. And believe it or not, there's more to the story, too. There's a further development that's clarified at the end of Moses. So the promised land is given by tribes, the 12 tribes, analogous to government boundaries. It's, 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 it's lotted up, you know, it's, it's set in different places. And the tribe of Manasseh comes forward to Moses and others, and they, they ask, what would happen if one of these women married someone from another tribe? When she died, her heirs wouldn't be part of her tribe, they'd be part of her husband's. And then part of the tribe of Manasseh's territory would actually belong to the tribe of Judah, or Reuben, or Benjamin. It's like, if by marrying a gentleman from Lansing your children could end up owners of a tiny slice that's officially Ingham County, even if it's in Howell, surrounded by Livingston County. Would the land of my Michiganer wife, because she married a Minnesotan, become part of Minnesota when, she, when we die? And it could get worse. Imagine if someone married a man from Ohio. <laughs> anyway, the, the answer that God gives Moses to give the people is that Zelophehad's daughters should only marry men from their tribe, if they marry and it's weird to have a restriction from God on which other believers they can marry. But the census showed that there were 52,700 uh, 52, adults in their tribe. And even though there are five of them, their dating pool is several thousand men. The sisters don't complain about the rule. Or maybe, maybe because they're, you know, they're not worried about their dating pool being constricted. Or maybe it's because they're willing to do whatever it takes to receive and maintain the inheritance they're going towards. It's an apt metaphor for how we should pursue the inheritance that Christ offers us. Like the parable of a man who sells everything he has to buy land with buried treasure in it. This is important. There are no little people to God. You are not little people. You are important to God. These people and their issues are important. But it's also important how they ask for it, and it's important the faith that they have.
So I'm going to come to that second point. How they ask for it. They, they show a lot of courage here, right? In coming before everybody. You know, certainly before everybody important. You know, who does, who does it say that they come before? It says they, they come before Moses and Eliezer the priest. That's the high priest. And before the chiefs. Okay. This is this is this is the top this is the top man. This is the top people and all the congregation. It's a little difficult to come before you, your class in elementary school and speak to, to your whole class. Here they're talking to everybody. Everybody. They're bold in this, right? They're really bold. They're brave to, to do this. They're determined to get what they believe is right, to ask for that, and to and to be to be honest about it. You know, they're they're not they're not tentative about this. They're not they're not hiding behind somebody else. They're not asking somebody to ask somebody for them. No, they're willing to state their case. The other thing is, they make their request respectfully. They make it really respectfully. They're not faking something, they're not doing a like weekend at Bernie's thing. They're not trying to get in by some technicality. They're even honest about their father. He sinned. Not like some others, but he sinned and it led to his death. They're also not trying to win it by force. Not trying to, you know, take it by, by force of arms. They're not planning to squat on the land or something. It's not like there's a police force to evict them. They could. But they don't do it that way. They're open, honest, respectful and not afraid to state their righteous case. It's important in the pursuit of something right to act right. I, 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 this is, this is so, so key for Christian morality, and it's so key for, for any Christian approach to politics, too. We, we need to want to do what's right by means that are right. You know, do you know that Mussolini actually did not make the trains run on time? <laughs> It's kind of the thing, you know, like, ah, you know, oh, fascism is bad, but Mussolini made the trains run on time. He didn't actually prioritize some major tourist routes at the expense of commuter routes, but which, you know, still were just as late as ever. <laughs> he made sure that, that English tourists had fast, had, had good trains. Nobody else had them. He didn't make the trains run on time. Bad means to accomplish good, good ends, it often doesn't even do that. It doesn't even accomplish the ends. Well... The daughters of, of Zelophehad, they do this differently than they mention the Korites. And they mention that their father wasn't among that rebellion. Now, presumably, that, that might have meant that he would lose his portion in the land, but he dies for his own sins. Not because he's so great that they're asking for this, but they're asking for it because it's right for them, right for the family name. Well, what do the Korites do? See, they sought to overthrow Moses and Aaron. They said that, despite God saying differently, they said that anybody should be able to run the things and be in holy places in the temple. And they were wrong, but, but they were also going about it the wrong way. Mala, Noah, Hogla, Milka, and Tirzah don't argue that Moses should stop delivering the law, stop being the chief judge. They don't argue that, that we should ignore God's law. They argue that the law should have an added distinction. Christians are many things. You know, Christians bring complaints to rulers. Christians are advocates for changes for people wrongfully treated. 
Sometimes Christians are martyrs, but Christians are not revolutionaries. Our role as people under God's kingdom is to plant, to build up, to cultivate, to make disciples, and to bear witness of the good news of Jesus Christ and all. The legend of St. Valentine is that when he was hauled in front of the emperor, facing execution, is probably not true, but the legend about him is that when he was facing execution, he didn't seek to kill the emperor. He sought to convert him. He tried to save the emperor when he was on trial before. The way we do things matters. We do not, we may not do evil, do good by evil means. Like Mala, Noah, Hagla, Milka, and Terza, we should bring our righteous complaints forward with courage and with honesty and respect. And if we're lucky, we may sometimes find rulers like Moses who are flexible, reasonable to circumstances. Chip, a bit is not often my experience in navigating a bureaucracy should be an example for any of us in leadership or ruling roles. Be flexible. Be reasonable to circumstances. Moreover, Moses gives an example of turning to God when you're not sure. He admits he doesn't know. <laughs> Even in front of the leadership. That's not the leading CEO model today. The leading model is it's action. Admitting you don't know or looking for expert advice this is important or better, seeking God's wisdom. Praying for help. Seeking God's word in scripture. It doesn't mean that God will speak to you auditorily as he does to Moses here, but it does mean that God will help you when you don't know what to do. No common law it says that case rulings refine the law's meaning. It's case law. What happens here? And there's a new generation. This is the second generation in the land. You know, Moses was 80 at the time of the Exodus. He ruled the Israelites until he died at 120 years old. He needed to listen. He needed to be flexible. He needed to be, to be open to correction of himself while not, while not uh, uh, disagreeing with God or trying to change God's law. Here's the third thing. These people and these issues are important. It's important how they ask for it. And it's important the faith that they have in it. So let me talk about their faith. Because they really trust that God is going to come through. Here's the thing. This is about whether they will inherit land, right? This whole thing, it's an issue of inheritance, right? That they want to inherit land. But they're in the wilderness at this point. They're living in tents. They're traveling from place to place. Nobody has any land. So what are they talking about? The inheritance that they're talking about? None of them has even seen it. Nobody has. It's the land of the promised land. Land which is still only promised land, not possessed land. They believe that God will keep what he has said and give them what has been promised. There's a line in a, in a song by you two, a place that has to be believed to be seen. Vala, Noah, Hagla, Milka, Terza, they believe in it. They're putting the effort into getting a place in the promised land for themselves and their children. They're going 
before the chiefs, going before Moses, telling them that the law needs to include them. They're respectful and bold. You don't do this for something you think is a fairy tale. You don't do this for something you figure is a nice story, but you're not sure will happen. You do this for something you believe in. They trust that what God has promised is as good as given. And you know what? They get this land. They get their portion among the tribe of Manasseh. Jesus says that the kingdom of God is like a man who sells everything he has to buy a field because he knows there's buried treasure in that field. When you believe, when you know with certainty that something wonderful, something amazing, something beautiful is an offer, you do what you need to do to get it. God has offered you something even more beautiful. Not a promise of land in a distant country, but a promise of a place in God's own country. A land, the land, the kingdom that is coming. It's better than the land of milk and honey. It's the new heavens and the new earth. So we, who believe that God keeps his promises, who believe in the world to come, we can boldly go before chiefs. We can pursue that goal with all godliness, rightly glorifying, glorifying God and loving neighbor. We can cast aside every weight and every sin that encumbers us and strive, strive for the kingdom. We believe in the promise. We will make it there. Let me just conclude. These people and these issues are important. Mala, Noah, Hagla, Milka, and Tirza, they're not little people. There are no little people to God. You are not little people. You are important. Our Christian religion needs to impact our approach to politics. And it's important how they ask for it. Don't ever try to do good by doing evil. But be respectful, even if, you know, even while you're making a bold request. Finally, it's important the faith they have. They trust in the promised land to come. We trust in even better. Amen.